This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amon Dean. Amon Dean, everybody. Amon Dean. Welcome back, Amon Dean, here in the foothills of the White Mountains of Erad Nimras. Kindling is kindled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say my goodness, that is some intriguing filth. This is episode number 84, Calling at Your Door, and I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Salt of Shield Swipe, the Earl of Agro, Bane of the Infected, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, 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 it's, I'm a dwarf, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, Fab from Faithillion, Coming to you live from Akkad Saradan. What am I doing in Akkad Saradan? Well, as most of you remember, it is here in Enidwaith. And, uh, you know, I opened up my tune and I'm like, where should I go? And I said, oh, uh, well, I happen to have a little map to get me to Akkad Saradan for free. So let's go there and look at the view. So I appeared here at Akkad Saradan. And uh, looking to the southeast is the most interesting view. I can see um, the ancient fortress of Harandir on top of the mountain there. Uh, there's a, uh, a mountain far beyond it that is part of the Misty Mountain chain, obviously. I'm sitting next to a tent here with Andreg, Amlan, and Saradan. Of course, if we follow the epic storyline to its conclusion, we know what happened to Saradan. But we don't, I don't remember what happened to Amlan and Andreg. Oh well. Um, there's a dun ox sitting next to me. I'm going to whack him and see uh, if he'll die. Just because he could use some meat. Oh, he didn't die. Oh, now he's dead. Okay, he falls over very quickly. Once you whack him with a level 115 cap halberd. <laughs> As the case may be. Now the interesting thing is, one of the reasons I came to Achad Sheridan is because I am following the lay of Ryman Rust with my second character through the Northern Kingdoms, and uh, I have to come here and find some dragon bones, which is, uh, you know, uh, timely. Uh, and as I peered in front of Saradan, I noticed he has a gold ring above his head. And this tune has not finished the instance, The Old Woman of the Mountain, which is kind of central to the whole Ended Wave Dunland quest line. So... What the heck? I'm going to pretend this is a live stream for all of you viewers. I'm going in. I'm hopeful. Let me see. Let me hire. Uh, let me call up an archer. I'm here on my cappy right now. And uh, I'm talking to Saradan. He says, <coughs> Are you prepared, Brynethor? With this hag's ties to Saruman and the evil creatures haunting these fells, I fear the old woman of the mountain may be more than just a simple old mountain woman. Be wary. Let us continue our quest, Saradan. 
So uh, we're running up into the little delving. There's rocks that appear greenish blue in the moonlight. And Saragon has set a good pace. Oh, we're being attacked by haunted oak roots and a number of whites that are telling us to fall into the shadows. And uh, they are instead suffering my wrath. Like I said, shouldn't take too long. Just to see what's going on here. I can't believe I didn't finish the story. Well, you know, you get a lot of tunes through an area, and uh, it can be tough. Okay, so there's little trees growing up here. There's rocks surrounding on each side. Oh, that is a moving tree. Whatchamahoo's it? Uh, Hewarn. And he is no longer with us. You will fall before my wrath, says Saradon. Yes, I'm I'm just propping him up. I'm handing him his sword. I don't have anything to do with anything to do with the things that I'm doing. And more tree roots. And a couple of uh, you know, wraiths or whites. What would you call them? <laughs> I call them to dinner. They're dead. The shadow must fall. You have no power over me, say the dark Cutrals. So only here in Enidwyth did I see them called Cutrals. Obviously a, a variation of the animation uh, for the tunes that are used for Gloomwaters. I think. At least they kind of look like that to me. Now we're up on a shelf. And... Uh, Uh-oh, Saradin's getting killed. <laughs> he ran into some guys behind me that I didn't notice. <laughs> Hold on, Saradin. <laughs> I'm coming. So this tells me I would be a terrible streamer, clearly. I would uh, <laughs> get too distracted talking to people and uh, on an escort quest. My escort would perish. Where, where are you going? Oh, you're going up this way. Okay, now I see. There's another path. It's been a while since I've done this. So um, what I was going to say is that I thought this was a really good job they did of wending uh, you know, a quest line into this area. Uh, obviously, we're not going to meet Mr. Saruman until a little bit later in the uh, Isengard cluster. Uh, but we're seeing his influence here and the people he's impacting. And uh, being able to follow, jeez, my favorite part of an escort quest is when the escort runs backwards to where the combat began and then runs back forwards. So you cover the same ground like, I don't know, 52 times. Something along those lines. More Huorns, and they're big. And they're dead. Uh, so obviously the story of the witch of the... Um, uh, what's the woods called? The Gloom Fens or something? Gwilion. Also, uh, her storyline wended into the storm on Methodress. And uh, quite a few storylines in Dunland as well. It's time to deal with Gwilion, the old woman of the mountain. And uh, if you look closely at her little portrait, she is an um, interesting looking little hag with like big red eye makeup. 
The white hand shall crush the life from the filthy riders, just as I will crush the life from you, Devodiad. <coughs> she has summoned her dire horn, Saimunu, Chimunu, and Malgavar. No, my pets, you shall pay for that, Devotiad. <laughs> She's some kind of green mist. Gwilion has retreated. The white hand will not be thwarted. But she's running up the hill with her little staff. And, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could catch her. It's, you know, she's right there. She's running about as, I think she's got sour Ocart disease. Okay, let's talk to Sarah Dan. Gwilion has escaped, Brynethor. While she may no longer bring terror to the Ukaluth, I fear we have not yet seen the last of her. How prophetic. Speak with me again when you are ready to leave. I am ready, O Saradan, because I have completed the instance of the old woman of the mountain. And now let's see what our prize shall be. I fear the door opened by the old woman of the mountain will be a hard one to close. Fortunately, Gwilion herself shall no longer, no longer trouble the Ukluth. I am going to increase my reputation with the Grey Company. I am going to have legendary item experience, and I am going to earn a golden token of the wilds. Uh, interesting thing to look at, actually, while I'm on my cappy. I'll double check this. Yeah, I know, I'm just babbling here. But, uh... Let me see. Reputation-wise, where do I stand with the Algreg? Uh, very close to making friend. Uh, the thing I was checking was that I just recently, on my cappy, finished off uh, earning Mirkwood Rep in order to get the Elven Steed, the Steed of the Elven. So I'd already uh, had Rivendell and Lothlorien status. And since I was in Mirkwood anyway, uh, finishing up the epic quest line to get to the Northern Kingdoms after the Black Book, I decided to run a few quests in Mirkwood until I achieved kindred status there and got the Steve of the Elves. And uh, as you may remember, once you do that, you're pretty close to earning the Eriador Steed. And of course, the ones I have left are the usual, the Aeglane, the Grey Company, and the Men of Enidwaith, the Algreg. So there are repeatables here I could do if I want to chip away. Might be nice to get the Eridor Steed on one more tune. We'll see. But in the meantime, uh, we've wasted plenty of time for now. So let's move on to our second beacon of Illinok. All right, let's uh, take a quick look at the agenda. As usual, first got to deal with a lot of CRA and P corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So last time out, we offended home makeover specialists, epiplectic blue hunters, lore purists, nemesis programmers, executives, executive producers, uh, Siri, and the elves. And to everyone else that was offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments. Let's look and see if we have any new iTunes reviews. Oh my gosh, we've got a new high score. The last review of the podcast was left by Bounder Dullball on May 21st, 2018, and he currently has our high score. Uh, his podcast was a five-star review. Yay, thank you very much. Listen to all of them in reverse order. Great podcast. 
all of my podcasts. 84 episodes. I am so sorry. I am taking a light look at the game. And always uh, with a positive spin on things, I recommend the podcast highly. Thank you so much, Bounder Dollball. As always, if you want to enjoy this illustrious cadre of viewers, you can just telepathically will a review to appear on iTunes, and I'm pretty sure that'll work. Um, that's what Grima does. At least that's what he tells me. Viewer feedback, nothing of note out on lightthebeacons.com. Uh, Twitter has been active as ever, but nothing special to see, so let's move along. In our community spotlight, Lotro players celebrated their fifth anniversary episode this past week. I thought it would have been much longer. I mean, I myself have been almost around for four years now. Scary. And uh, Lotro players had a number of former hosts on, which is always fun. Uh, they played some favorite clips from Andang, who couldn't be uh, there live for the show, but put together a little sound segment. And one of Andang's favorite clips included my origin poem for Pine Leaf. So, yes, that was me, in case you listened to Lotro Players, uh, that composed that. That was the episode, and I read it online in the one guest episode I had with Lotro Players. Must have been uh, three years ago, at least, at this point. So, uh, congratulations to them, and thanks for everything that you guys do to come out uh, week after week and continue to put on the podcast and be a lightning rod for the community. Uh, is it too early for Bragg and even Grima to look forward to a 100th episode celebration of Light the Beacons? Yes, it is. <laughs> because at my pace, that's 2019 at the earliest. So let's not jinx it. Uh, Coronexa, put a reminder on my calendar to do a 100th anniversary episode planning. Fat chance you'll make it that far, you drunken dwarf buffoon. Uh, thanks, Coronexa. Easy there. Easy. Uh, forums Insider's mostly reaction to class changes, which is always fun to complain about. And since we're doing a segment later on that, we'll talk about that in a bit. But for now, in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We're going to do a quickie beacon discussing my latest musings on class trait points. We are going to try to penetrate the labyrinth that is the latest class change rollout. And lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will summarily squander it. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving along to the third beacon of Nardal. Here we are at Nardwal, this week in gaming and or other Tokian news. And with the summer calendar revving up, and uh, time has been at a premium. But I will tell you that um, I did complete the game that I talked about uh, last episode, I believe, called Never Alone, which was cute. Uh, again, you know, maybe just a couple hours of gameplay, but it was exactly what I was looking for after spending you know, 50 plus hours on Shadow of Mordor, and I have begun Amnesia, The Dark Descent, which was a game I bought as part of a humble bundle a little while back. Um, some of you guys may have heard it or seen playthroughs online. It is a variant of uh, horror survival that is uh, supposed to famous for being very atmospheric and for, uh, you know, having let's say, uh, sound and uh, presence and kind of overall eeriness that is uh, very creepy and so forth and very mind kind of playing. I think uh, you're basically going insane as you watch, as you play the game and certain things happen that, uh, you know, question your sanity. You start to see bugs crawling around the screen and all kinds of fun stuff like that. 
I'm being chased by a shadow, which I believe is probably my own soul or some form of it, uh, form or fashion. Um, and, uh, you know, they're playing with the mind as well as the uh, jump scaring, kind of openly horror-ish. So, um, anyway, I'm just uh, an hour or two into that game so far, and... I can tell it's fun, but I can also tell that it's not the kind of game where if I get stuck in a puzzle, I'm just going to sit there and work it out while I'm running away from stuff. I'm probably going to look at a guide and just get through it so I can say I experienced it. Um, if you know, after I spent a reasonable amount of time. So anyway, Amnesia: The Dark Descent is uh, my current off-lotro game that I am playing. And <coughs> uh, Grime, edit that out, will you? Sure, no problem. Let me see. Lastly, uh, not exactly a video game, but did want to mention that uh, I had bought a basic version of the latest iteration of Dungeons & Dragons for one of the young dwarves in the house this past year. And while everybody is home and off of school for summer, we have um, set an objective to go ahead and play Dungeons & Dragons uh, Basic Edition uh, within the uh, family unit here. And the edition I bought comes with a dungeon called the Mines of Fandelver. And I currently uh, have related to the players that uh, I am willing to be the dungeon master, but only if they read the rule book, so I don't have to explain everything all the time. They have to at least invest a modicum of effort in coming up to speed. So uh, right now we're uh, all varying stages of working through the basic rule set. And... Uh, I have finished that. I'm going through and previewing the detail behind the Mines of Foundelver. Looks like a fun little addition. Uh, I would say, gosh, it's been a long time since I played Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, you know, the versions I played with, the original books and so forth, are in a tub downstairs. I'm going to dig them out so I have my Dungeon Master screen and all my dice and all that fun stuff. But um, the basic rule set, obviously, is going to be quite a bit more simpler than what I used to play. And quite a bit different in a few ways. It appears to be a much more heavy reliance on all kinds of saving throws against different types of uh, stats, like saving throw for perception against wisdom, and a saving throw for charisma. Uh, you know, basically against someone's uh, you know constitution and so forth. And so lots of figuring out that stuff. Lots of dice rolling, but um, should be fun. We'll see how much we're into role playing. And I'll try to provide updates as we move forward with probably the first legitimate game of Dungeons & Dragons I have played in several decades. <laughs> I will say that we tried to start a game uh, amongst the family here a couple years back, and it uh, I think we... <coughs> We got one afternoon through rolling a bunch of characters and not even really getting started out of the main town before we gave it up and ran out of time. So we'll see if uh, this iteration goes further, and I'm kind of excited to try it, I must say. From a movie perspective, Incredibles 2 is on the horizon this coming weekend, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, but in the meantime, there is, if you are a horror fan, I have heard amazing things about Hereditary, uh, the new movie starring Tony Collette and a couple other actors that you may or may not have seen before. Uh, and it uh, looks truly disturbing slash terrifying. And I can already tell I'm going to have to go see it at some point. Because uh, I do dig a well-done horror movie. Not not a gory, jump-scary kind of horror movie, but a really well-done, creepy one uh, that gets under your skin a little bit. 
and I may have one other person in the family who's willing to attend with me, but uh, she said only if we go during the daytime. <laughs> so I'll give a review if I go to either of those flicks shortly. In the meantime, uh, let's talk about Lotro. Bragg, of course, has been doing his twi twice weekly Northern Kingdom runs for tokens uh, of land or token land tokens of Lasgalin or whatever they're called. Um, after the latest update, Bragg respect and I ran a skirm in Redline just to see what was going on and get some general impressions. Uh, so I did Thievery and Mischief Tier 3. And um, I would say definitely the skirmish was much faster. And only once during the course of the adventure did my health go below half when I pulled a whole area at once along with a counterattack. So still seems pretty sturdy to me, even in Redline. And uh, I'm going to talk about some of the class-specific changes in an upcoming beacon, so I'll hold off on that for now. Um, I will say that after a whole bunch of underwhelming Gorgoroth loot boxes over the last couple weeks, I got one this week with 1200 ash and a Northern Stronghold's Tactical Mitigation Essence, which is nice. So finally starting to see a few of those Northern Stronghold Essences I saw early on and not since. Um, I did cap off my ash this past week at 10,000, and I bought all the good armor I could from ash. So I went ahead and spent 5,000 on two Northern Kingdom's Essences and swapped out a piece of gear on one of my alts. Um, so I think that is, you know, if I've, if I've got the best gear that Ash will buy, uh, I think that is the thing to do with the Ash once you reach the cap, is to load up, stock up on Northern Kingdom's Essences. I can go quite a while upgrading Essences. Uh, although, you know, if, if the former Essences are Abyssal Essences, I probably won't bother, but if they're, you know, old Shadowed Essences or Tier 9 or Tier tier 9 or tier 8 I will be uh, updating those on a higher priority basis when I have a chance uh, oh by the way uh, one other thing that I noticed when the release came out there's a new impetus to finish the Abyss of Mordath on your tunes to um, <clears throat> in order to get all the pages of lore because uh, you may have noticed a deed popped up when you logged in indicating that uh, once you had all the current sets of lore pages in the game, you would receive the lore bookcase that was promised. So I, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago. A lore bookcase, the idea is that it goes in your house and uh, you can uh, plug all of your lore books into it that you've accumulated over Mordor, Northern Kingdoms, and or the instances involved. And uh, they, they, you don't have to scatter them all over your house. They sit in one nice place and you can play any of the soundtracks from the bookcase. And uh, I thought that was really cool. I have all the lore books for Bragg except for Abyss of Mordath, which he has not finished. So um, it should be easier and easier to find a pug willing to go through and do Tier 1. Of course, it would be easier if they had rewards that were worth getting. But uh, that will be a priority now for Bragg so that I can get his uh, bookcase and load up all those lore books. Um, and I think that should, you know, it's interesting that that piece was connected to the raid. Um, I assume casuals are not going to be happy about that that they have to run the raid to get the bookcase because they may want the bookcase but if they're not raiders uh they may never have a chance to get it unless of course maybe they make it available in the store later on which is always possible um so i completed uh bragg did a tier one featured instance run this week bells of dale uh, had a group that struggled to do tier two. We went in and uh, failed on the 
first troll boss several times on tier two. Um, I think we had a mini that had 52k morale when you know tier two challenge 115 level should really be above you know at least above around 70 at least or close to 70. So I think that was part of the problem. He was uh, getting one shot by some of the archers that were coming in. Um, if you think differently, please tell me. So anyway. We, uh, we wiped twice, then we put it on Tier 1 and romped, romped our way through the thing. I wish there was something somewhere in the middle that was a little less difficult. But, uh, but Bragg's tanking uh, in blue line, this is the first instance I tanked since the respec, uh, held up just fine. As a matter of fact, while everybody wiped on the troll, I was still alive and just ran out. And that happened both times. Uh, I was not near uh, getting tapped, but I know the instance is over when... Uh, when you have a mini, you know, when everyone else in the party is down, I'm not going to solo uh, all those guys and the troll all the way through there. But um, but uh, my guard, blue line guard, seemed to hold up just fine with uh, with the new, with the the respec and the new content. So my minstrel is also 115 respect and ran a round of mortar dailies. Um, they seem to be about the same length of time, maybe a little slower. Uh, more about what happened to minis a little bit. Um, I also ran an instance of Forno Shadow, Tier 2. Remenog is one of the few bosses at the end of Forno Shadow that has eluded me in the past. Uh, there were a couple people in the party that hadn't done the fire, Fornost Fire, so we ran through that at you know level 30 or whatever to do a speedrun just to open it up. And then we went out and did Forno Shadow and uh, got all the way through it okay, healing. Again, this was a good test for my minstrel with the new heals, which have been severely impacted. And uh, I would say it went okay. Um, when we got to the final boss, which has been a boss you know, that has been very difficult in the past to do on Tier 2, which means uh, you have to be able to burn him down within two lightings of all the braziers that are on his platform. So you have to light the braziers, DPS the boss, uh, light the braziers again, DPS the boss, and at the end of that second cycle, he's got to be dead. The problem is that when you light the braziers, he also produces a whole bunch of bats that come out and fly around. And the bats uh, were all gravitating directly to me as the healer because I was trying to heal us through that segment by hitting you know big cooldown skills. And uh, the tank, we had a cappy tank that was not um, luring them off of me. So um, so I died, was rezzed. We tried one more time. Uh, some of the other tunes died while I was flopped trying to avoid the bats. And uh, I was told later, I had to run because I had to go do some real-life errand running. But I was told later by the other character that they, they were able to complete it by subbing in a champ instead of a hunter. Because when the bats appear, when you light the braziers... The champ can AOE all the bats down and basically keep them off the healer, and that made things a lot easier versus the hunter that uh, obviously does not have that AOE capability. So I'm hoping to get back in there soon and try that revised strategy and finish that off at some point. Um, someone mentioned you get pretty good marks for a single run through there uh, at uh, Tier 2 Challenge. I think uh, they said something like they get 4,700 marks out of one run, which ain't bad. Uh, my Cappy, the fashionable, he was uh, working his way through Northern Kingdom's content. He slowed down a bit of late, but he recently pushed through and finished Dale and Erebor this past week, um, making the second tune through the Northern Kingdoms for me. Woohoo! So he actually started on the Lay of Rust and Rhyme and opened up the dailies, which you know I might use to help generate additional tokens uh, since I'll be able to do 
uh, four rounds of dailies a week with the extra bonus uh, wrapper quest. And, uh, you know, I gave up for, for brag. I went cold turkey on it. But for for my uh, second tune, I bought rep accelerators to get to the end of the end, the Northern Kingdom's factions a little faster. But even so, even finishing all the quests from the region, he's not yet kinded on anything yet. Um, so he's going to probably have to do a couple rounds of dailies to finish off the rep in the regions, even using accelerators. Uh, didn't worry about... Uh, buying accelerators because my half million marks appear to be holding up just fine for now. <laughs> Don't know what I'll ever spend them on. Hopefully they'll put more stuff in skirm camps at some point that'll be uh, useful. My Lorevaster. Uh, spent time respecting him as well. I spent a lot of time respecting this past week. And I have to say that the LM skill tree is the most kind of interconnected of all my tunes, so it adds a lot of complexity there. you got to read through it a little bit more carefully. Especially with the way Burning Embers and other skills are impacted by Gust of Wind now. There are all these skill interactions where Frost Lore and Fire Lore and Ancient Craft and your pets uh, you know, are much more integrated with the things you're going on. Your flank with your pets. Uh, things burn more quickly if you have Fire Lore on them. You spread stuff using wind, etc, etc, etc. So you can still button mash an LM, but probably a lot more playtime is needed to maximize effectiveness of your LM. Um, and realize the impact of some of the trait choices. Uh, so I don't recommend BOVing them versus some of the other tunes you can do that with. Uh, my lore master is now doing occasional mortar dailies runs and occasional Saragus 105 runs. Um, I think he needs like maybe one more run to finish off his one LI that to have it fully maxed. As far as the tiers are concerned, probably could use a few more crystals of Amphalash crystals too. Um, and he's got a whole bunch of books saved up. I have a couple hundred rep books saved up. I have to figure out if I want to either level another tune through all the allegiances like I did with Bragg or maybe save it for gearing some of my alts that are still coming to Mordor. My Berg at 115 has been handing in stuff on the Mordor task board. Um, hoping to get to Kindred uh, or celebrated on the plains of Gorgoroth at some point and get a a huge cache of 50 Lotro points from that. Um, I read some forum threads about Berg struggling in Mordor. There was some person complaining, saying like they had so much trouble with their Berg in Mordor, they almost quit the game. And, uh, you know, I have to say, all people have different levels, have different uh, of interest, of gear, all those other things. But I, I didn't personally struggle with my Berg in Mordor. I thought it was easier than a lot of the other classes. You know, Bragg was obviously the sturdiest, but, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned in the past how great it was to be a Berg and be able to sneak by a lot of stuff in Mordor and speed up uh, some of the content by just, uh, you know, hipsing out when you need to. Keep, a, keep, in, keep on keeping on, keeping alive and sneaking past. My Hunter is now level 108, and I actually logged them in and played with them for a little while for the first time because uh, I did, had to respect them as well. Another respect character. And uh, I traded a bunch of Host of the West rep. I'm almost finished with the last Host of the West rep faction. I think it's the armors that I need to finish. And then I'll have all the Host of the West rep factions, which I think has some kind of little wrapper deed around it. See what the, um, besides the Lotro points, we'll see what the uh, prize is there. I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, my Hunter, I respect. I actually bought my third trait line on the Hunter. So I have third trait line on a lot of my tunes. Uh, some of them, there are a few that I never bothered to because I don't, I, you know, I don't play the Hunter as much as I did. I, I usually have them behind the curve as far as end cap is concerned. 
So previously I only had blue and yellow lines uh, spec'd out for the Hunter, and I went ahead and bought the red line. Uh, I enjoyed playing blue and yellow. I want to use them both still occasionally, but red line is now top of the line DPS, so I wanted to see what that was like too. Uh, so I ran around with the Hunter in the Wastes for a little while, and I have to say, it was a nice change of pace to be in the Wastes instead of Mordor the Northern Kingdoms, and uh, just to be running around drilling stuff from range and killing it almost instantly. <laughs> so I might uh, go back and do a bit more of that and work him through the Waste content uh, just as a sorbet to cleanse the palate. It is, uh, it is pretty fun, and boy, they do hit hard versus a lot of the other tunes I have, so... That is fun, too. Uh, my Bjorning is level 108, but hasn't done anything recently. Champ is still at level 70, 71 and waiting to do more of Enidwife. Like, uh, it's probably near where my captain is right now, actually. Oh, by the way, just traded in a quest for my captain, one of the repeatals, and got uh, friend standing with uh, the All Greg, 10 Lotra points, in the bank. My RK is 57 has just been hobby-horsing around. My, my warden I actually did log into just to respec because I knew it got respec too. Um, you know, I had, uh, you know, the, the blue and the red were some of the things that were redone. You know, what about the yellow range trait line though? Uh, I, I might save that one for my high health. So for now, I only have two trait lines open on my warden. And I'm going with blue and red. And I think I'll use yellow on my high health warden just so I can experience that as well. And, you know, the warden... Respecting the warden is the most confusing because as you select traits, there's a lot of them that don't necessarily give you new skills on your bar. <laughs> they give you new gambits, and unless you remember what those new gambits are, you don't have them. You got to look them up. So I gotta, as I go back and play my warden at some point, I've got to get one of those plugins that does the gambit builders for wardens. Uh, I think that will help make it a little bit more easy. And, uh, you know, my warden only had a couple points to sprinkle around anyway, being level 40. Besides that, in other Tokyo news, uh, I don't have anything new except for an article I read this past week. I think I told you last week that the um, was HBO has announced that, uh, you know, the, the new Lord of the Rings related series that they're developing is going to be focusing on a young Aragorn. Uh, how young? You know, well... Younger than 87 years old, apparently. Uh, which could have a lot of different fun storylines in it. But uh, the interesting factoid I saw this past week was to sh that they had committed a billion dollars over five years to develop the series. A b -b 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 billion dollars. So this will be a well-funded venture with a lot riding on it. Um, you know, I guess as far as fandoms are concerned, Tokyo's about as foolproof as you can get amongst the Winnie that are out there. But still, that is a lot of cash. And that is something, you know, we owe to the Game of Thrones because that never would have happened without the success of Game of Thrones. I guarantee it. Uh, you know, proving the money that can be made when fantasy is done well uh, and with that kind of investment. So thanks, Game of Thrones. Appreciate it. And with that, that's uh, about all we've been doing in the game. Let's move on to the fourth beacon of Aralas. Here he is moving right along at Aralas. Uh, so I've had some previous discussions about the class trait point grind. Um, even for Blessing of the Valar users. The grind to accumulate all the class trade points is getting longer and longer as the game progresses. 
And as the game progresses, when we get to new regions, we get new class trade points, um, it gets more and more challenging. So, you know, I'm talking, of course, about the ones that are locked up behind, first of all, getting 200 big battle points, although that's getting easier as time goes on and more epic battles are added to the game. But I'm talking more about the ones that are locked behind major region quest areas, like the class trade points that you get in Rohan. Uh, for completing all the quests in the Broadacres, or um, the ones that you get in Central Gondor for completing all the quest lines all through Central Gondor, um, and uh, even into Eastern Gondor. And now, a class trait point that is locked behind completing all the quest lines in Mordor and completing the Black Book of Mordor, etc., uh, etc. Et so, those are quests that, you know, basically, if you want to have the max number of points for your tunes, and who would not, uh, you have to do all of that content all over. You have no choice in the matter. Um, so, here's the pitch you know, introduce new ways, and I, I've talked about this before, but be in my bonnet, I'm going to say it again because it needs repeating. Introduce new ways to earn class trade points in game, uh, and the hitch is have more class joints available that can be slotted so much like you have a hard cop on virtues at level 20 but you can earn them up to level 26 or 27 or 28 or whatever the case may be so you could earn a reserve of class trade points and then basically you know get them allocated up to the max that are allowed at that point as you level or make new updates the class trade point cap can be raised but there are multiple ways in the game to earn those points, so you don't have to go back and do the broad acres for the seventh time. You can instead choose to grind the herbalist deeds in Athelion, or complete the meta deed for Central Gondor, or achieve rank seven in the Moors, or complete 300 festival deeds, or all the slayer deeds in Moria, or complete all raids in Ravanion on tier one, or whatever. So yes, I personally think you should earn a class trait point for kamikazing a chicken into Mount Doom. Think of the community events that would initiate if people sprang up doing chicken runs every weekend to get that class trait point. Wouldn't that be fun for the game? That would be amazing. Um, and this absolutely positively goes with creating a new class trait point tracker tab for the trait tree configuration window. So that's something we've been talking about for a long time. I've got a huge spreadsheet. Let me see if it's open right now. It's not open right now, but uh, you know, with all my characters listed, all the different class trait points they could earn, the quests that they tied to, or the deeds that they tied to, or the big battles they tied to, or the number of levels they tied to. It's got formulas. It's got sums. It's got all trying to figure out how many more I got to get to get all my tunes to max class trait point level, and I have to maintain it every time a new content area comes out. You know, we've got the skills window for your character. Uh, press the J button, right? And here you've got class traits, and then you've got race traits, and then you've got virtue traits, and you need one more tab right here. I'm clicking exactly where it would be, and it would show you a list of the class trait points available in game and which ones that character has earned. I can't tell you how easy it would be for them to add that and how much value it would be for everybody that was playing and an inspiration to go out and finish content. Uh, maybe as you clicked on it, it would give you hints as to what you'd have to do or finish uh, or other people that are trying to earn that class trade point that you could group up with, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of possibilities there. But that I'm predicting SSG is going to get to this one. Um, 
if we all talk about it enough, it'll come about because these are the kinds of uh, quality of life improvements they've been willing to add to the game uh, recently over the last couple of years since they formed. And I do believe they will get to it uh, if we make it clear that it is a priority for the player base. So let's talk it up. Let's get uh, in Court of Anne's stream. Let's get it mentioned. Let's have them bring it back to the devs and let's make it a reality. Class trade point crack tracker. And if they cracker, get a cracker tracker. And if they're so inclined, uh, the multiple ways to earn class trade points in game. Uh, up to a certain cap level would certainly help level the playing field uh, for those that have been in game quite some time or those working on alts or, and those working on your BOV characters as well. All right, let's move on to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. And now for the original weekly sponsor segment at Minrimon, this week's show is brought to you once again by Mountain Doom. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. Man, this Mountain Doom goes great with Kentucky Fried Smeagol. Every can holds the ash and heat of a blast furnace in the palm of your hand because nothing's more intense than slamming a doom. It's got ten times the ashes of Gorgoroth and an Orca-Cola. Righteous! Righteous! So do the doom. Mountain Doom. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. That brings us to the sixth beacon of Kalanhad. And for Kalanhad this week, we have a rather meaty section to chew into. Uh, let's talk about some of the class review changes that came out with the latest updates. Uh, so, first, a, a general note. Um, as I went through, I actually was evaluating some of the comments that were made out on the forum. Uh, if you go out to the Lotro forums under Bullroar, there's a class, uh, class change form for each major class that was uh, addressed. And um, there were, uh, so what I found as I looked through some of those threads, uh, apart from the usual vitriol and trash and toxicity, is that a number of the, uh, the devs that were working on the class trade changes were engaging very actively with the fan, uh, with the class, you know, the player base, to comment on some of the things that they were seeing, some of the, thank them for some of the data they were giving, uh, talk about things they still plan to address, so they could kind of head off, you know, certain uh, wormholes of commentary and so forth. And then there were other threads uh, where there were devs assigned to classes that were not commenting at all. So at some point, uh, one of the players went through and did a post that said, uh, "Developer Vastin, V-A-S-T-I-N." who's addressing guards, lore masters, and hunters, has 36 posts in those three threads uh, over, the, over the course of the last you know, two or three weeks since they hit Bull Roar. And then there was another dev whose name was Friendly Hat, who was responsible for champs, minstrels, and wardens, who had zero posts on the forums during that same time frame. So I'm not saying that one is wrong and one is right. What I am saying is that the dev that is posting more is obviously going to make more of the player base happy. And um, the fact that there was such a disparity between the two approaches is what is the problem, right? Either tell the devs not to comment at all. If, uh, you know, if some of them don't want to comment, then none of them should. Or tell them all to, you know, they have to get on a certain amount of times or, you know, make a post a week addressing what they're planning or thoughts are, whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, if I was a class, and I am, who had a guard, I'd be very happy with the engagement of Vastin and commenting on you know, some of the feedback. 
And if I was a minstrel, which I am, and I was looking at, uh, you know, some of the comments out there and the lack of engagement by, you know, or promise of what's coming from someone like uh, the warden, the pip, the dev that was attached to that area, I would not be happy. So, um, so this, you know, the whole process was exacerbated by the fact that the champ dev apparently has had zero communications on their thread versus the other devs. They're showing significant engagement, and you know, it kind of makes begs the question: um, Hello, is there someone else up there we could talk to? No, now go away, or I shall taunt you a second time. So let's get a little bit into the individual feedback uh, that was uh, provided. And some of these I'll go into a little more detail on with a little specifics. And some I'm just going to address kind of in a larger group based on the feedback I saw and some of the complaints. Because I haven't had a chance to test every build on every character and go out and run content and see what's going on. So we're going to give some general impressions. First of all, uh, first thing I noticed when I logged into my Guardian as well, uh, there has been a reduction in the animation durations for a lot of the uh, skills, especially in Redline. And I'm sure we'll get used to this quickly, but I'm trying not to forget how dramatic that change felt the first time I logged in post-update 23. I felt like uh, my character had taken an amphetamine and was going out there just like, woohoo, woohoo, swinging his hammer around, whacking folks. It felt really different. And, uh, you know, I've always been a, a clicker, right? I know there are some uh, players that... Uh, use keyboard for to hit their skills use keys to hit their skills as opposed to a mouse click um, and I've heard some people claim that that's a superior method I have I happen to not agree uh, I agree anyone can press mouse uh, keyboard buttons faster than they can press mouse buttons but there's a lag in the amount of time it takes to, to click between skills and for the skill to execute and I've always been able to click faster than the skills could execute um, so, you know, you may be able to cue them up faster in keyboard, but they're not necessarily executing any faster than I am with my mouse. I have to say that with the sped up uh, durations of animations with the guard, it's a little bit closer because I got to move the mouse a little bit quicker to get those skills queued up since they're firing faster. Uh, I still think it's equivalent if you know what you're doing and where you're going. Uh, I don't think it's a disadvantage to be able to do mouse clicking versus keyboard skills for that reason, but... Um, it is a little bit faster, uh, which is quite exciting. Um, the guard, one of the big things I noticed, shield smash. I am wearing shield spikes all the time now because I am critting for 40 to 70k across, I don't know, I think it's five or six targets that you get with your shield smash in the blue line. Now that is worth going through a four skill rotation to get to, finally. Yes, guards must hit, uh, must get a block response or hit their shield swipe in order to trigger their shield, you know, the next three shield skill or two shield skills to open up the shield smash. So it is either a three or four skill rotation to get to your shield smash uh, when you're when you're playing guard in blue line. And the payoff was one of the best skills that we had, but still wasn't you know nearly as good as any other class. Well. Uh, I'm excited to see 40 or 70k crits across uh, multiple targets using Shield Smash. That is fun. Um, Brutal Assault is one of the guard's best DPS skills now. When you're hitting the skill raw, it's getting maybe, I don't know, 7k uncritted. But then, um, you know, much more obviously if critted up into the 10s and 20s. But then uh, there's a bleed on it, which is called uh, Horrible Wound, I think. And... It's a terrible wound, I'm sorry, for the Brutal Assault, which gets 
8K of damage every two seconds for, I think it's 16 seconds. So, uh, you know, another 50 or 60K that can tick off. Yowza. So basically, I can hit a guy at half health and then turn around and walk away in slow motion with like doves flying over my head while he crumples to the ground. Terrible wound indeed. So uh, there was a communication today where the devs confirmed this was OP and it was going to get toned down soon. So enjoy it while it lasts, guards. It'll still probably be one of our best DPS skills, but maybe not as great as uh, it is right now. Um, also received word with the update that came out this morning that Sweeping Cut was going to receive a little buff to get more damage back. It went from one of our best skills previously to one that was a little lackluster. One of our largest AoEs, but without great damage, and it should be better now. So that's good. Uh, there was a bug with the class where if you made a terrible wound using Brutal Assault, um, if you had radiation Radiate slotted, which is one of the guard traits in the yellow line, it would spread bleeds from target to target, target as you AoE them. Um, there was a bleed radiating out from Terrible Wound, but it was only like one-fifth the damage of the original bleed. And then it would radiate back if you hit the person again and overwrite the bleed on your primary target. So that one-fifth power bleed, instead of 8k, it was hitting like 1400k, would come back and hit your original target and downgrade their bleed. So that was a bug, and apparently that's been fixed with the, um, with the version that came out this morning as well. Uh, the other exciting thing for Guard you'll notice immediately is our primary heal, Catch a Breath, uh, which is something that was barely worth hitting previously. Uh, had a short, fairly short cooldown if it was traded, but, you know, barely made a tick against, you know, you'd get maybe a 4 or 5k heal out of it. You could crit it, obviously, but most times you'd get basically a 3 to 5k heal out of it, and you can only trigger it once every 30 seconds or so, something like that. They have made Catch a Breath have a longer CD now, but it now heals for a percentage of your morale, uh, 32%. So it heals for like 40k now when you hit it. Bang! It's instantly basically the best heal in the game for a guard as a self-heal that he can use every... Uh, CD is a little longer. I have to check it, but I think it's like 45 seconds or, or maybe a minute now. Uh, so that's huge and becomes much more strategic to work into your rotation at the right time. I like it. Um, it went from irrelevant to maybe even a little bit OP. So the concerns that seem to be out there that I've seen most frequently for the guard changes, um, there are some AoE skill target reductions, so number of targets that you can hit with your AoE skills. Challenge is maybe five now at this point, and uh, it's on a longer CD. So your forced AoE force taunt, I mean, you get in... Blue line, you get Litany of Defense as well, but the primary one you normally use is Challenge. And it's on a longer CD. You have to be much more selective about when you use it now. And uh, it's still not going to cover all your targets. Uh, so you're going to have to combo um, aggro uh, challenges in one in one respect at this point. Uh, you're going to have to combo them in order to cover all your targets. Um, and I think the intent is, and the, the, even the devs said this, they want to bring in or make tank uh, off tanks more relevant so that raids need two or you might even need two in a certain six mans and scrades uh, in order to be, be able to cover a whole target. And, you know, that brings in more demand for tanks, which is which is good because in the past you could get away with having one tank that could hit, you know, 10 challenge targets at once and, you know, hold everything. Um 
So I would say, you know, I'm gonna probably also gonna have to use a much more liberally shield taunt in a lot of cases. Shield taunt is a skill instead of a damage skill, as you go through your shield line progression that you can use instead of a damage skill, you can use your shield taunt, which has a good uh, number of targets as well and good range. Um, so I might, you know, in some cases I might move through my shield progression and leave it poised on shield taunt uh, just in case I need it before my challenge is back up again. And I'm hoping they might consider restoring the aggro component to War Chant, which was the other um, the other AOE skill that the guards have that used to have an aggro component. Uh, so so far, after respecting Brad, I ran a tier three battle of the 21st Hall's grade and also a Bells of Dale tier two. So far, survivability was not an issue for me. Um, but aggro control maybe was to some degree. It's hard to tell so far. I need to play it a lot more to get the parameters of it. <clears throat> uh, my, said, my minstrel said they would certainly be using loot strings of subtility for the first time in a while to help uh, dump aggro off of them um, since the guards are going to have maybe more trouble now. Uh, there were also reports I saw that uh, might be a problem that uh, some of the guards at lower level were one-shotting stuff at low levels, which kind of trivializes the content. Um, and, you know, guards shouldn't be able to do that at any level, right? Uh, you know, that's, that's a DPS uh, type of uh, capability. That's why you play a hunter or an RK or an LM or a burglar. Uh, guards shouldn't be able to do that. So, boy, it's a thankless job working on these class trade adjustments because there's so many dimensions to think about. What's the impact on, uh, you know, what's the impact on war steed skills? What's the impact on uh, cap level skills? What's the impact, you know, as the click, uh, the trait tree progresses and you move skills in and out of reach uh, at certain class trade point levels, etc. <clears throat> what's the effect on PvP? Ugh. So it goes on and on. It's a thankless job for sure, but. Hopefully they can get uh, the lower level uh, DPS balanced without impacting the cap level DPS because I certainly am enjoying being able to. I would say on average my guard can, if I did a set of dailies that would have taken me you know, 45 minutes previously, I might be able to finish them in 30 minutes now. Uh, so 15 minutes a day if you're doing dailies and that, that adds up over time. That's significant. So I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts because the great wheel turns and it will cycle off at some point I'm sure. All right, so uh, let's talk about the Minstrel. I don't have a lot of comments on the Minstrel. This is one of the classes that had a lot of complaints of zero engagement on the class forums. Um, I will say that uh, Minstrel DPS has been nerfed a bit over where it was. Um, it, will, it probably was a little too high, but uh, you know they tried to give you some benefits around um, around survivability. So. One thing that's a huge impact, both and either if you're running in blue or red as a minstrel, is the Court of Salvation is now the most probably the strongest heal that you have, and um, uh, the CD is a little longer on it, but it makes a big impact. So the important part is that as you're soloing as a minstrel, Court of Salvation is the only heal that you could use on the run. Um, so making that a powerful heal makes it a powerful self heal that you can use on the run. And is going to help with survivability because it's going to take us longer to burn down some mobs. Um, the other major changes, uh, you know, were geared around trying to make sure that the minstrel class could not be run on autopilot by spam spamming bolster courage uh, during fights. Bolster courage has an area of effect heal effect 
So basically, by hanging the tank with Bolster of Courage, you could heal everything around the tank. You could heal the entire raid by just hitting Bolster Courage over and over and over and doing that ad nauseum until the raid was done. Which, you know, might reduce stress, but it's not, you know, necessarily in the long run a fun way to play a minstrel. So they've been trying to diversify the skills. Bolster of Courage is definitely nerfed. Uh, you know, I could always notice... Uh, morale bar jumping when I hit bolster courage previously and they're just not jumping now like they used to uh, You know makes me think it might not even be worth hitting in some cases because they've made um, Raise the spirit to have no cooldown now so that you can spam that potentially uh, And inspire fellows is also increased as well spirit of soliloquy, which is the uh, single target hot has also been increased in terms of healing as well and all the CDs were tweaked. So hopefully it's a true rotation for Minstrels now. We'll see. There's a lot of concern out there from folks who think that uh, Minstrels may have a tough time healing Tier 2 Challenge Abyss of Mordath with some of the nerfs to bolster Courage. Uh, but, you know, I would say let's get used to the the rotations and see what people can do with them. You know, the big thing about Minstrels and Lore Masters too and, and, and a lot of classes is... Uh, the runes that they're removing from the class. Uh, so there are runes that you could put on your class LIs. Um, and I think SSG is saying that we're only ever intended for your main weapon LIs, not for your class LIs. So in a lot of cases, um, minstrels and RKs and lore masters are lo losing a DPS rune or a healing rune that they were counting on that had a pretty big impact. These are runes that you get basically from running uh, Abbots of Mordath and picking up from vendors in the runes of Dingarth. Um, there are better runes available in Mordor at, in Udun and uh, for generic ash, but the best ones are uh, for completing Abbots of Mordath that make up pretty big difference from what I've read. I don't have one of those on my my LM, uh, but uh, I've heard it can be a major impact. So losing one of those runes kind of set everyone back in terms of their healing and DPS that was utilizing them previously. Um, so hopefully the class changes are taking that into account. I know the devs are aware of it. So besides that, we'll see how minstrel healing goes. Um, I, you know, I like what they're trying to accomplish the devil's in the details as per usual, right? Let's move on to the lore master. Uh, this update mostly, I'm going to read directly from the dev quote because this uh, he summarizes it pretty well. This update mostly focuses on the red DPS line with some simpler changes to yellow. The blue line I've mostly left alone, though of course there are a number of general skill changes that will affect them. Mostly I'm looking to make some quality of life upgrades to the class. Tone down the sheer number of buttons a bit, which is you know probably a bigger problem for LM than anyone else. While bringing its direct damage up somewhat, it's healing up and its power restoration down considerably from its current state of free power for everyone forever. The debuffing and pet capability should be essentially untouched. My guess is that in its current state, the damage is still a lot, a bit lower than it wants, than I want it to be, particularly because some of unintended consequences of removing Wizard's Fire. So I'll be addressing that shortly. So there was a post came out recently said Wizard's Fire was added back by the dev uh, after a number of people complained. Uh, and one of the reasons that's important for uh, an LM is it's one of the only non-induction skills that you can use on the run. So you can use it for stuff like deeding in low-level areas uh, to hit targets that are farther away while you're running through them. Or scoping, scooping up groups of mobs um, in higher level content to bring them in so they can AoE them to, cra to death at cap. And uh, there are also a number of skills that interacted with Wizard's Fire that impacted DPS pretty significantly. Um, 
they've done a lot of changes interacting how gust of wind interacts with other skills that should make it more useful again uh, it wasn't worth hitting typically in the previous builds uh, one of the most critical ones is that it now takes uh, burning ember dots and upgrades them to searing embers which is one of your best dots that you have as an LM major impact on DPS so uh, a lot of people are complaining the gust of wind uh, animation is too slow now that you're gonna have to use it a lot um, but uh, so we'll see if the devs adjust that maybe in another build there's lots of people complaining that the first uh, damage over time or, or heal over time pulse dot or hot pulse uh, was removed from a lot of the key skills delaying their impact for example a skill like water lore that is LM you know survivability bread and butter when you hit it you're usually in trouble and that is critical <laughs> as a light class I don't need to heal four seconds from now I need it now so when they went through and were changing the amount of healing in water lore uh, I don't know if accidentally or intentionally they removed the first healing pulse you would get immediately upon clicking the skill so the first one is now four seconds in and uh, that's not good uh, also on water lore by the way the group wide healing buff has been nerfed which is a little bit sad and the power sharing nerfs are hugely nerfed. Uh, power sharing skills have been hugely nerfed, uh, both in terms of cooldown and magnitude. Um, I've heard that sharing the power now only gives like 2,000 power to most uh, people. And uh, the biggest issue is that a lot of freeps are complaining that it's a, uh, when you're in the moors, there are lots of creeps that have huge power drain skills, and uh, the only way to get by them is for uh, LM to be able to top them off, uh, which they won't be able to do at this new level. So, you know, there's a long thread about how, oh, if you do this, you're going to have to nerf the creep power drains, or else they'll be out of control, etc., blah, blah, blah. So, you know, again, PvP, unintended PvP impacts, uh, which the devs are now aware of, and hopefully trying to figure out a solution for. Um, the LM has a school called Pleasant Breeze, which is now a heal instead of a power increase. Uh, so we'll see if that helps compensate for the losses during water lore. So in general, single target DPS for the lore master, the biggest complaint is that it's still a little underwhelming. And the dev admitted it and said he would be tweaking some of the single target skills forthcoming, a build forthcoming to try to address that. But in general, AOE, AOE uh, looks solid overall. Uh, they repaired Ring of Fire, which was broken in the first iteration. Ring of Fire is one of the bread and butter AOE skills for uh, LMs previously that produced some of their biggest damage spikes. Um, so it used to be like if you hit an area, each there'd be a Ring of Fire around each mob in that area, and they'd all kind of overlap and, and be pretty intense. Uh, now you're picking one target and getting a burst around that target. Instead of multiple circles on multiple mobs, you're getting one circle on a central mob, but it should still be impacting the mobs around it pretty significantly. Um, and let me see, Hunter. So the primary focus of the Hunter was to reduce the, um, make sure that the red line going forward was gonna be the number one DPS line for the Hunter, especially in, uh, in raids and, and six mans. And the only way to do that was to reduce the dominance of the barrage skill for the blue line hunters who kite and hit barrage, 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 which enabled them to get the highest DPS levels uh, unintentional in the, unintentionally in their class. So now barrage is a three-tier shot that ends with a long CD. So you can hit it, you can spam it once, spam it twice, spam it three times, it tears up, each one's a little bit more. But after that third tier, there's a 20-second CD where you've got to work through other rotation skills before your barrage is back up. 
Um, the one problem with it right now I read about is there appears to be a mess with the hunter rotations. If you don't know what tier you're on with Barrage when you start a fight, it kind of like carries over from the last fight. So if you start in tier 3, you might only get one shot off when you're expecting to get three. And then a, a mob might be on you uh, unexpectedly that you thought might be dead. Um, so <clears throat> hopefully they can figure out a way to have that uh, reset in between combat runs or, you know, if it's in place for a certain number of seconds, maybe it goes back down to, to tier one. So the red line was buffed to make it dominant again uh, with blue supposed to be flexible and meant for soloing. Basically, they came out as much as said that. Um, so kiting blue hunters should not be popular in raids going forward. Uh, they're going to have to learn to play that red trait line if they want to stay in demand, at least as it stands now. Uh, but apparently the blue line hunter has a couple issues. There were some issues with focus generation on the move, um, which would uh, basically result in them running around but having no skills to fire off <laughs> at some point. At least that's the feedback I heard. Uh, you know, I think uh, Sans Wunder from Lotro Players was going on about it in the podcast last week. So there was a change that came out today to, to change blindside from a skill that costs three focus to one that generates three focus, which I think was the original intention. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. So that might make a difference, and we'll see if they make some other adjustments as well to make blue line more viable. Um, the other big thing is that the hunters have had two uh, kind of survivability self-healing skills, strength of the earth and press onward. And strength of the earth was only usable out of combat, I believe. So... Press onward being, uh, is being changed to be usable on the move, which is huge. It makes it actually useful, especially for blue line hunters that you know, would never want to stop running for a mob to hit this thing because it has like a three-second induction and you're just getting beat on while it's going on. So um, hunters have also been asking for this modification to apply to their Purge Poison skill, which apparently has a long animation as well. You know, By the time it finishes, you might be dead. Uh, lastly, I had some yellow hunters tell me last night in a group that um, that their trap damage has been buffed significantly. So that could make uh, yellow line again more a little more fun to play as well. I do like playing yellow, uh, especially when soloing. And uh, the damage from traps is now based on the striking rune in your main hand weapon. Uh, that that bam, you know buffs damage of melee attacks and now buffed trap damage as well. So um, that's getting. Uh, basically a buff bar that it probably should have had originally. All right, let's move on to the champion damps. Um, so the dev came out and said they basically champion were not going to mess too much, but they wanted to do a mild damage increase across the board to kind of restore it to the primary melee AOE. So yellow, yellow AOE line appears to be healthy and kicking some butt. Uh, but Redline, not so much, based on the comments in the forums. Um, there's tales of champions being out DPS by Red Wardens and Redline Guards. Oh, great sassy molassie, head for the Fallout Shelter. Um, so their skill animation was also quickened like the Guards, but the problem is it uh, apparently it made it clunky in some cases, uh, where um, there's a pause after some skills as the animations kind of blend into each other. And that seemed to pop up most frequently when someone went du dual wield with an offhand weapon equipped. Uh, they called it, the guy called it a brick. My, my character is a brick. He is now unplayable with that configuration. So uh, we'll see if the, um, we'll see if the uh, devs are, come back and uh, manage to adjust that as we go forward with builds. <clears throat> 
So the complaint was that single tar target DPS is still uh, far too far below RK Hunter DPS and e even below yellow champs, right? And a red line champ should certainly be doing better single target DPS than a yellow line champ who is supposed to specialize in AoE. Uh, part of the big problem there is that <clears throat> uh, BPEs, block parry and evades, and partial BPEs, are not. these skills are not impacted by the finesse of the champ. And are a big issue for the champ apparently as it nullifies all their crits. So every every target that you go after with an AoE, anyone that uh, blocks parry evades or even partially blocks parry evades nullifies the crits, which is where a lot of the damage was being done by red champs. Um, and all those crits are being wiped out by these BPEs. And that was, uh, you know, the BPEs and partial BPEs of mobs in Mordor was buffed significantly. Uh, as part of the release and that impacted champs uh, to a great degree so that seems to be the problem there's lots of different solutions being suggested um, uh, so we'll see where that turns out but for right now uh, blade wall was buffed and some traits moved around in the trees to make them more or less accessible in some cases uh, one character on the forum claimed he hit 100k crit uh, with blade wall and blade wall can hit up to 10 targets so if you're hitting 10 targets with 100k crit that's a huge amount of dps uh the person actually in this case to their credit advocated nerfing their own damage in some ways you know there's an issue when a champ is advocating nerfing his own damage uh but op for sure um so this sums up pretty well here's a here's a comment from the forums uh individual says i Parsed in Wrath of Cast, 90k DPS in Redline, and was competing in DPS with a hunter who had Blade Brother, yet in level 115, that was back when they were, you know, level 100, yet in level 115 content, similarly geared champions can't parse over 40k on live. Uh, the reason for this insane disparity is solely linked to ridiculously high partial BPE on mobs in all 2-2 instances at level 115. Finesse literally has zero effect on partial BPE, so a champion can have 150 K finesse and still get an unlucky parse with 10 to 15 percent partial evades alone. This effect is exacerbated significantly if you aren't perfectly positioned behind the target at all times. So champs, you should be perfectly located behind the target at all times. Redline champ has become so crit reliant that increasing damage to strike line skills without first addressing the partial problem of partial BPEs and mitigation debuffing disparity in groups uh, won't do it. So, in summary, until some of the stuff is addressed. You might want to run in yellow. Uh, let's move on to the Wardens. Well, I'm pretty low-level Warden, so I don't have that many points. I just sprinkle them around the primary tree and hope that when I get back to it, I'll do a more extensive study of gambits. But uh, here's what the dev said. We scaled up ratings based buffs to keep up with recent stat changes. The blue line now also has a single target force taunt in the form of warning shot. The yellow line has also had many of its buff lines updated. So the yellow line may be usable now. Most players were disappointed in the forums that changes were focused on the yellow tree, which nobody uses much anyway, versus the blue and red. So it's kind of a catch-22. The reason they were focused on the yellow is because it was so bad no one was using it. So I think they're hoping to induce a few people to give it a try. Uh, at the same time, since most people are playing in blue or red, that's where they were interested in seeing the updates right now. So uh, the single taunt that was added to the blue line was much needed. A lot of people were praising that, saying hallelujah. Uh, but most people think other changes still won't help the blue line because, you know, self-heals and buffs don't help you when the endgame is about taking huge hits from the main bosses and raids. Um, 
you know, avoiding or mitigating somehow the burst damage that's done by those bosses and st still being standing instead of being one or two shot dead as a lot of wardens are right now. Um, you know, in, in the, let's say, first boss of the Abyss of Mordath, you're going to get hits on your tank of 80 to 90k. You know, in some cases, that's the mitigated damage. So, uh, you know, if a, if a warden's not avoiding those, they're going to get one shot in a lot of cases. Um, and that's part of the disparity in why warden tanks are not in demand right now. It's just the way the, the raids seem to be um, designed as it is. And going back and redesigning a raid boss so that a warden can tank it better is not high in the list of priorities for SSG, unfortunately, right now. So the Borg, Berg forums out there, uh, there was just a lot of stupid, there, there are no Berg major changes that came out. Um, some people are reporting a general DPS uh, nerf of maybe 10 to 15% overall damage in Redline. Uh, but mostly the Berg forums are just a lot of stupid arguing about balancing, you know, PvE versus PvP. You know, anytime you buff a Berg in PvE, it makes them OP in PvP. Say that five times fast. Uh, and vice versa. So it's a difficult problem because of the class design of the Berg to be able to do, you know, CC and uh, have all the buffs and debuffs that they normally do that make them effective. Um, lastly, the RK. As far as the, uh, here's, I'm going to read again from the game, uh, from the dev. As far as Redline RK goes, nerfing the DPS ruin and taking away our, uh, this is a player by the way, nerfing the DPS ruin and taking away our second ruin is gutting the class as a top tier DPS. Like people said, you'll bring one for raids for their debuffs and then fill the rest with hunters. I don't see that how this is good for balancing the game. So, uh, you know, I think there's more changes coming for the RK in the next pass, but in the meantime, uh, they have to deal with the fact that they lost uh, their rune out of their uh, their second rune, and, and, and since the first one was nerfed, it's going to be a major impact on them in the meantime. So, you know, a lot of these changes are incomplete, and they're going in passes, and uh, people are just going to have to kind of learn to deal with it until we see how things shake out. But that's how I see the class trade changes. You know, hopefully there's more good than bad. No one's ever going to be fully happy. That's why the forums are so much fun to read right now. But uh, hopefully things are moving in the right direction and uh, are better at the end of the day. Even if everything that you wanted isn't addressed in this first pass, hopefully the cries of some of the things being completely broken are not true or will be addressed shortly. And we'll get most of the classes moving in the right direction. Uh, but these class trade changes are different, certainly different in tone than some of the ones that we have seen in the past, uh, you know, with the number of devs allowed and the way they're addressing them piecemeal or as time and uh, opportunity allows. And with that, let's move on to our seventh beacon. It's closing time here at Light the Beacon. Sorry we ran out of time to squander at Halifurion. It is now time for Blessed Relief. I am parched. I need to go get an ale so I could quaff it. I'm officially putting a little... Hey, Kurinexa, do we have any beer? No beer available. Kurinexa put beer on the shopping list. There are no deer on your shopping list. That thing is useless. I would love to hear your plotted feedbacks, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critiques. So bring it. You can contact me at bragsonabound at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for arthritis. Facebook or Twitter at bragsonabound or my website at lightthebeacons.com. 
which was not featured in the Lotro Beacon again this week. I kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review like Bounder Doble did, if perhaps you're showing, you're showing kind. I would very much appreciate it. Hey, if a Bounder has time for it, maybe you do too, although he should be protecting his shower. Sharky's coming. I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. It's a great place to play. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you spend a whole weekend clearing the broad acres for your last trait point, only to figure out that you only have one to spend and your primary trait line is full, wah, wah. don't despair. Light the beacons. See you, folks.